Good morning again, Rivertown Community Church. I want to welcome all of you on all of our campuses today because this weekend we are finishing up our final series. In a four, it's been a four-week sermon series that we're finishing up entitled Four. And uh, what we've said for the past few weeks, if you've been with us, we just said, you know, this series is so important for us in this season because for far too long the church has been known for what they are against. And that's been true in every one of our communities as pretty much as well throughout, throughout our whole um, the United States of America. And so because that is like the perception of most people in our communities, and we feel like it's been the perception for way too long, most people in our communities, they don't even have an interest in God. They're not even really interested in God, much less being part of a local church. So we believe from studying the the teachings of Jesus and the writings of the apostles that the church should be known for who and what it is for, not for who or what it is against. Which means, and we've been saying this for the past few weeks, and that is this, a church for everyone has to be full of people for everyone. And the reason we've been saying a church for everyone has to be full of people for everyone because a church is not a building. A church is not a location. A church is not a staff. A church is all the people who attend every week, who show up and and participate and call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. Another way we've been saying it is this. A church for everyone cannot be against anyone. So my encouragement to you is this. If you missed the last three weeks, I'd make, make sure you go back and you listen. You can listen online. You can listen on the RCC app. Because this whole series, what it does is it sets us up for the focus and the attitude that we want to have as a church as we move forward into this year and even in the years to come. Because we believe it is so mission critical to what God has called us to. And, and one of the things I did say again last week is this. is I, I know this series is messing with a lot of you. And, and we're kind of glad for that. Because as we said, it's kind of showed a crack in our armor as a church. That we maybe are not as for people as we thought we are. In fact, it's messing with some of you to the point that there are a lot of conversations going around about Paul and the staff becoming all liberal in our theology and all that kind of stuff. And I'm I'm like, as I said last week, I can promise you I am more conservative in my theology than most every one of you who who are listening to my voice right now. But, But here's what I've really come to realize from following Jesus and, and, and moving from what I call, because most of the time you hear me saying, talking about being a Christ follower instead of a Christian, because, you know, Christian can mean anything. But being a Christ follower is very specific. It means we do and we live out what Jesus called us to live out. And, and this is what I've realized over the last few years of just right, intentionally moving in and saying, God, I don't want to be known as a Christian. I want to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's what I've learned. The more conservative we are in our theology, the more we follow Jesus Christ, the more liberal and the more lavish we should be with grace and God's love. And that's why we've said a church for for everyone cannot be against anyone. And I'm just going to go ahead and say again, I said it last week, I'm going to say it again this week, if that shakes you up or if that doesn't make sense to you, on March the 3rd, we, we're holding a training, it's called Theopraxis, something we do about twice a year for all the leaders um, here at RCC. And and it goes from 8.30 to 11.30 Central Time, and so for Wakala, that's 9.30 to um, 12.30 your time, so... Um, Make sure you do that transition. So 8.30, 11.30 Central Time. And so Theopraxis is just a series of trainings to help our leaders learn how to live out their theology in a very practical way. 
Now, this module, we've never taught it before, but we thought it was very critical, so we kind of put this thing together. And because we just think we need to take this series a little bit deeper because it's messing with some of you so much and and to kind of help you build your mindset and your foundation a little bit stronger. But in this training, we're going to unpack how you can be for people that you totally disagree with. You know, what, what do you do when faith and culture collides and, and you totally disagree with a person on a viewpoint? How can you be continue to be for them? And so because this series has messed with so many of you, we think in a good way, we're opening this up to everyone who attends Rivertown Community Church. If you attend RCC, you, you can be a part of it. So if you want to attend, here's a great way for you to sign up. You go to our website, rivertown.cc, and put forward slash March the 3rd. And, and just let us know. Or if you still have your Connect card on your campus, you can put it on there. Or you can let one of our staff know. But this is probably going to be the best way to let us know because we'd love to have you RSVP because we're going to have breakfast available to you you, and we'll have child care available to you if you need that, so make sure you let us know, um, you know, what kind of child care you're going to need. Now, having said that, here's what we're also glad of. We're glad it's messing up a lot of you in a good way, too, because so many of you, you are embracing the four mindset as a lifestyle, and you're showing our communities that you are absolutely for them. And so we just want to say at the beginning, thank you so much. On every one of our campuses, we're having all these four stories that are coming in. And in fact, some people are even starting to say, I've been forward, or that person got forward, you know, that kind of thing. So you're kind of turning this thing into a verb. But, but the reality is every campus... We're getting all these incredible stories of how you're embracing this as a lifestyle. In fact, we had a group leader in Chipley that just is absolutely being honest about his struggle as he began to realize, you know, I don't know that I'm for people like I thought I was. And so he challenged his group. He says, listen, I want you to hold me accountable to be for people, and we'll hold each other to be accountable to be for each other. In fact, he wrote an email to his group that was sent, and I got to see the email, and he basically says something like this. He says, guys, I'm not perfect. I have failed in most of these areas that we're talking about when it comes to being for people. But he goes, you know, we can learn and we can practice being better at being for. And this was his thing. He goes, and I challenge you to join me in being four. Now, isn't that incredible? And then he gives all this list of all the things they could do to be four. And he goes, do we think about it? No, we do it. And I thought, wow, that's so cool. Or, or we had this uh, story got from our Mariana campus was of a middle school teacher who, who was inspired to take this whole four concept to make it very practical in their everyday job. And so there's had this really difficult student. This guy um, had this really difficult um, boy that was in his class. And and finally, it's just, I just think it was the Holy Spirit prompting him just to get down on this kid's level. And he just let this kid know. He says, you know, I'm for you. I'm for your future. And I'm for your education. And you know what's powerful about that is that little conversation there. This kid's grades turned around. His ad- attitude turned around to the point that the principal noticed what was going on. You know, our Blumstown campus, I just want to thank all of you who embrace this, like last week where you participated in the Black History Month Parade, and you have no idea, there's about 40-something of you that participated in that, you have no idea the impact that that is making. And I'm hearing story after story of people's lives that you impacted on that. And then Wakala campus uh, yesterday, I mean, you guys, about 20 of you got out in the community and you supported this lady um, whose daughter is dying of cancer, and it's just, it's absolutely amazing, um, the stories that are happening out of every campus as you embrace um, the communities. We give it up for yourselves and just celebrate what you're doing. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. 
Yeah, thank you so much for those of you that are four. Um, it's just pretty cool to watch this whole thing start unfolding and, and unpacking. And you know what's really even better about this whole thing? Now we have people in our communities that want to know how they can get a four T-shirt. And I asked pretty cool too. You know, people in our communities, how do we get one of those T-shirts? So that's cool. It's starting those conversations, right? So hey, go pull out your worship guide, and uh, there's some talk notes in there. And uh, I just want to kind of talk, uh, set up our, our conversation for today by getting you to kind of think back in time. So if you would roll the clock back to pre-1960s, to the time before John F. Kennedy cast the vision for putting a man on the moon, for, for centuries before that, people kind of wondered, like, what's on the moon or what's the moon made of? In fact, I remember when I was in elementary school, I had a school teacher by the name of Annabelle Taylor, and uh, she used to tell us of this story of this little boy who dreamed of going to the moon, and then for some reason he had miraculously got there, and when he got there, it was made of cheese. Now, some of you would love that, others of you just think that's a cheesy story, but anyhow, the whole thing of going to the moon, that whole thing of space travels, we know it today, and we've discovered it's not made of cheese. And, uh, but when John F. Kennedy, before he cast the vision for that, this whole thing was really thought basically to be impossible. To, it was just unbelievable that you could even think that way. And that's why the whole world paused and they watched on July the 20th, 1969, when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, they stepped onto the moon. And here's why. It was a pioneering moment. Now, if you've been around me, you know that I love pioneering moments. Moments that take us to places that we've never been before. Moments that, um, man, that make us appreciate our past, but keep us from staying in our past. In fact, if you've heard me talk about Rivertown Community Church and the story of this church, you know this church has been just, it's been raised or it's been built on the back of many pioneering moments. In fact, uh, if, if you're not familiar with RCC, it was a group of people, about 10 pioneering families in the early or late 40s, early 50s that moved their families from states like Pennsylvania and Ohio and Delaware and, and Iowa to this small rural community in the panhandle of Florida to start what is now known as Rivertown Community Church. And so throughout the history of this church, there's been like these pioneering moments. In fact, in 1994, you've heard me tell this story before if you're part of RCC, there was a group of guys who met for breakfast soon after I became the pastor. In 93, I became the pastor. In 94, is like, there's like 35 of us. I mean, it was like, wow, where are we going? That kind of thing. And we were trying to decide, do we shut the doors or, or do we continue to move forward? And there was a very defining decision that was made that morning to look forward to be a church that was committing to reach our communities for Jesus Christ. And we began that journey. Now think about this. That decision was made in 1994. In 2004, 10 years later, we changed the name from Bethel Mennonite Church to Rivertown Community Church. I always tell people the first 10 years of this church, it took us longer to do things than what any of you could ever imagine. I mean, we can do more in a year. We do more in a year now than we did in 10 years back then. It's crazy. You know, it just took that long to gain the momentum. But there was this heart. There was that pioneering mo uh, moment where it just moved us forward for like 10 years. And then in 2009, we made the decision to go multi-site. 2010, we, we launched our, a second campus in a high school. 2016, we launched our third campus. 2018, we're in the process of launching our, our fourth campus. And every one of those are pioneering moments. And there are so many more of those. 
But in every one of those pioneering moments that we had, those that I mentioned and those we haven't mentioned, there were always people telling us it's not possible. It's not going to work. It won't happen. Or they were telling us it wasn't possible, or either they were trying to hijack the momentum to kind of serve their own personal agenda. But you know, as great as the past is, what happens is this. When you have any level of success in your past out of a pioneering moment, it can provide a lot of challenges, amazing challenges. In fact, some people have said that NASA never quite found a new mission that fueled them after going to the moon. Now, here's why that's so important for us to recognize. There is a problem when the past defines a group of people. See, whenever your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. And I think that's what's wrong with most churches in America right now. Whenever your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. Because for most churches in America, and we're, we're in one of these places, as one of these unique, awkward places as a church because, you know, I've been pastoring this year, October this year, be 25 years. And so some of you have been part of RCC long enough on different of our campuses that, that there's these conversations going, remember when, remember when? Well, let me say this again. You might want to write it down. When your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. And for many churches, this is why they're about to close their door or the end is near. It's because they have more memories than they have dreams. And so we feel like that's why this four initiative is so important for us as a church. Because we've had so many pioneering moments that it would be easy to kind of look back and start living off of the past. But see, more than memories that we look at, back at, the thing is, we need to focus forward on the mission that God has given us as a church. And that's why um, we've been saying, you know, for far too long, too many people are all about, in our communities, I mean, we've kind of just like doing these impromptu surveys and go, there's too many people in our communities that are saying, you know what, the church is known more for what it's against. It's about what or who you people are against. And we said, you know, we want to be known for who we're for. We're for students. We're for adults. We're for our community. Why? Because God is for our communities. In fact, the question that we've kind of been asking for the past few weeks is this. You know, what do we want to be known for as a church? Well, we want to be known as a church that we are for people. We want people to know Jesus. And as we said last week, we want to say yes to those who said no to God and to the church and what we believe. So we want to be known as people who are for our neighbors. We want to be known as that. We, we want to be part of what Jesus said when, when he came and he said, listen, I want you to seek and save those who are far from me relationally. And you know, when you talk about all this stuff we've talked about for the last three weeks, it really is pioneering language. But the reality is what we've been talking about, it's what the church is supposed to be. It was what the church was supposed to be about from the day it was launched. And so you start looking back over the church's history and the heritage of the church, go back to the book of Acts, and you realize, wow, the church has a very rich heritage. Our church has a rich history and heritage. But whenever you have a rich history and heritage, Remember when, that phrase there becomes very dangerous. Remember when, remember when. And one of the things that's interesting is myself, a lot of our staff, a lot of our key leaders, 
They've been hearing that kind of language. But remember when we did this? Remember when we did that? And here's what I know. When everybody, whenever, whenever, when a person gets, let me slow down, okay? When a person gets in the remember when mindset, you know they've quit growing. They've quit growing spiritually. When, when the past dreams or memories, excuse me, when the past memories are sweeter than the future vision, they've stagnated spiritually. So today, um, we want to ask two questions that pioneers or pioneering movements, they always ask. We want to ask them because of the work that we believe that God has called us to do as a church that we've believed since 1994. And we want to ask these two questions because we think they're great questions to leave you with as we finish up this series. Here are the two questions, and that is this. What now? So what do we do now, right now? And then what's next for us as a church? Now, before we answer these two questions, I want to spend a few moments just looking at what I believe is like the greatest pioneer that the world has ever seen that gave the greatest pioneering challenge that we could ever experience. Because here's what I believe. To remain focused on our mission and our vision as a church, we must remain focused on Jesus Christ. The one that can, I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus gave us the mission and he is the only one that can help us fulfill and stay focused on our God mission, God-given mission and vision. And I'm just telling you, as I look back over the last almost 25 years of passing this church, whenever we get distracted from Jesus as individuals, then the church gets distracted from Jesus and we always start focusing on the wrong things. In fact, the truth is, when we get distracted from focusing on Jesus, we always tend to look around us and we get intimidated or we tend to look back and we start thinking about the memories and, and when we get all focused on Jesus, we quit looking forward. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about that. That's not only true for us, but it was also true for a group of Jewish believers that lived in Jerusalem in the first century. So if you got your Bibles, I invite you to go with me to Hebrews. We're going to kind of scan chapter 11, and then we're going to pick up a couple verses out of chapter 12. So if you got your Bibles, go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Now, Hebrews is like a first century ancient document, and it was so important to the early church. They, they collected this thing. They copied this thing. They spread it around because it was so important. You gotta understand something about the book of Hebrews. It was written primarily to Jewish Christians who were beginning to wonder, don't miss this, they were beginning to wonder, is it worth it? Is this faith thing, is this following Jesus thing, is it worth it? Because see, at this point in time, it's beginning to cost them something to follow Jesus. And so they begin to go, is it really worth it to follow Jesus? And, and then the even bigger question they begin asking is this, are we really even making a difference in our world? I mean, there's so many struggles, there's so many things we're dealing with. Now here's the thing that you and I, we, we can't imagine this. I mean, whether you're a Christ follower or not, I, I think you absolutely find this fascinating. Think about it. 2,000 years ago, nobody knew what was going to happen with this little group of people who believed that a man by the name of Jesus rose from the dead. N nobody knew what was going to happen to this thing called the church. I mean, there was no guarantee of what was going to happen. I mean, so those people 2,000 years ago who started the church in the book of Acts, they could not imagine visiting a country like our country today and then seeing 
a country that has churches everywhere. I mean, back then, there, there were no churches. There were no church buildings. I mean, there was just like this little gathering of people who believed that Jesus was the Savior, who believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that he literally rose from the dead because they had either met someone who had saw him or talked to him, or they met someone who had talked to someone who had saw or talked to the resurrected Savior. Because you got to understand, when this moment in Hebrews 11 and 12 that we're looking at today, this happened like 40, 50, 60 years after the resurrection. So they have no idea is this church thing, is this following Jesus thing, is it going anywhere, and is it going to make a difference? I mean, is it really going to spread beyond our little town, this, or even our city, little city called Jerusalem? I mean, it's like the believers are going, are we kidding ourselves? Are we lying to our kids and saying, it's so worth it to follow Jesus? I mean, are we throwing our lives away to follow Jesus for virtually no reason at all? So their big question is this, is it worth it? And is it even working? And so the writer of Hebrews, he writes to his first century audience who is struggling with this thing, and he tries to remind them, it is so worth it. And he even goes on to say, as he writes through this, this book, he goes, listen, while you may never see the impact of it in your life, I'm telling you, it is so worth it, and I'm also telling you, it is working. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the writer of Hebrews, he reminds us of this, and it is so powerful. He says, listen, here's why focusing on Jesus is so important. In fact, the first you know, eight or 10 chapters, he really help, tries to help them understand who Jesus is and that, that Jesus is the better high priest and Jesus is the better sacrifice. And then he goes, now, here's why this is so worth this for you. And reminds them of all these Old Testament people. He just starts making a list. If you got your Bibles, you want to kind of look at that list. He just starts making a list of all these Old Testament people that we heard about growing up in Sunday school. Or if you grew up in church, you've probably heard it talked about. And he goes, Here, here's all these people who just lived their lives by passionate faith in God. I mean, they just had this tenacious faith in God. In other words, basically every single day of their life, they got up and they lived as if God was going to fulfill his promise. They believed that he was going to fulfill their promise, his promise. And then he's like, at the end, toward the end of chapter 11, he goes, and oh, by the way, when these people died, they never received the promise that God had made. They never saw the promise that God had made. They only saw those promises and they welcomed, from a di welcomed them from a distance. And, and he gives several examples and one of those examples is Abraham. Remember what he said to Abraham? God said to Abraham, he says, God, or God said to Abraham, he said, I'm gonna create a family for you and, and through that family there's gonna be this amazing nation that's gonna be created. And he, then he goes on, remember what he said to Abraham also? He says, and through you the whole world is going to be blessed. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Abraham never saw that promise fulfilled. And Isaac, his son, never saw that promise fulfilled. And Jacob, his grandson, never saw that promise fulfilled. And even generations later, Moses, who was a great leader of the nation of Israel, he never saw the promise that God made to Abraham fulfilled. And so there was generation after generation after generation that never saw the promise of God fulfilled. But now from our perspective, we can look back on time and, 
And we look at the cross and we look at the resurrection and we go, oh yeah, through Abraham, all the nations of the earth have been blessed through Jesus Christ. But the writer of Hebrews reminds us there was always a core, there was always a remnant, there was always a group of people that were absolutely faithful to God because they believed that God was going to come through. Now here's what's interesting about this. <laughs> and really, it's not just interesting, it's also so convicting. Because for us, some of you are going to turn in a prayer request today on, on your Connect card. I've already done that. You're going to start praying about it. And our staff and prayer team, they'll start praying about it. And if God hasn't showed up by Thursday, we're like, and answered our prayer the way we think he should, we're like, God, is, are you really up there? Or God, do you really care? Or we say things or think things like, well, I can't believe that God's so untrustworthy. Or I can't believe that God's not coming through for me. But you know, all through the Old Testament, there was this group of people who for their entire life, they trusted God and they never saw him come through on his promise, but they trusted him anyway. They believed in him anyway. There was this group of Old Testament people and they were looking forward and they were faithful and they were looking forward to what God was up to even though they were, he wasn't answering maybe their immediate prayers in that moment and they were faithful even though they didn't see the promise and the plan all come together. While we on the other hand, if God hasn't answered our prayer by Thursday, I mean we are so quick to look back so quick to become fearful, so quick to become intimidated by culture. And so the writer of Hebrews, kind of like the Holy Spirit inspired this. I mean, Scripture says and the, Holy, the Holy Spirit inspired every writer, and I believe it because it's like, it's like you know, these writers could look down the corridor of time and go, 2,000 years later, people are going to be struggling and thinking this, and they write this stuff. And in chapter 12, the, the writer says to his first century audience and, and, and basically says to us, and so instead of looking back on all these memories and looking around and being so fearful and, and looking at our culture and being so intimidated, the writer of Hebrews says, here's what you need to do. In light of the fact that men and women, they live their lives faithful to God, believing he was gonna keep his promise even though they never saw it. And he basically says it this way. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and he's talking about all these Old Testament saints who were so faithful to God, even though God was not answering their prayer in that moment or in their generation or not even in the next generation. He goes, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he says, here's what we should do. And we read that, and it's almost like, we read it as though he says this, and he doesn't say this, but it's almost like he's going, here's what we do in 21st century. Well, let us hide and let us whine and let us complain and let us hoard our resources just in case some catastrophe happens and, and let's quit reading scripture and let's start listening to everybody else who's blogging and let's just build bomb shelters and, and purchase some ammunition and blame the cops and blame the president and blame the teachers in our schools and blame our mamas and blame our daddies and, and demand our rights because after all, we have all these rights and let's go ahead hey here's the deal let's build us a wall and tax the rich and play it safe and find somebody to sue because it's never our fault and let's take our country back oh and by if you're a christian let's pray that jesus returns before the tribulation that let's just pray that teaching is true so we don't ever have to suffer 
And can you imagine, can you imagine what our whining and complaining and the things that we debate and we try to do for safety and comfort and security, do you, can you imagine what that sounds like to that great cloud of Old, Te- Old Testament witnesses? Can, can you imagine? I mean, it's kind of like they're going, you're worried about what? I mean, you're scared of who? I mean, you're nervous about, you got all this anxiety because of what? Really? And the writer of Hebrews, he's reminding us, and he's challenging us, and he's basically asking, saying, listen, will you join in, and will you become some of those people, like the people who came before us that lived these fearless, confident lives? And so he says, here's what you do. In the meantime, with this great cloud of witnesses that, that prove that God is faithful to his promise, that prove you can be faithful and that you can just be fruitful even when you don't see the end result. He says, here's what you do. Here's the key to your life. Here's the thing that you can't forget. You, you just, what, what you, you lean in. You lean into something while you look for a way to make a difference in the lives of the people around you. While, while you ask yourself the question or when that question comes, Is it worth it and is it working? Here's what you do. Notice what he says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And this is our problem. Our problem in 21st century is for many of us, our eyes are fixed on the wrong thing. Our eyes are fixed on those things that are going to create security and comfort and safety. And here's why. Because we're, our eyes are fixed on this thing that's going to create safety and security and comfort, we get so intimidated by culture. And we begin to ask ourselves, who, who can we blame for what's going on in our culture? And what's, who can we blame for what's going on in our nation? And as long as our eyes are fixed on what's around us, as long as my eyes are fixed on what's around me, we will never run the race with endurance, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. Now what will happen is this, we will be scared to death, and we'll look for all the ways we can create safety and security and comfort in our lives, and we will miss our opportunity and our responsibility to be a light in our culture. And instead of leaning into our culture, as Jesus did, we will shrink back from it and we'll become scared of it. And when you're scared, you miss your opportunity and your responsibility, not only to be a light in our culture, but also to show our culture that we are for them. So if we would fix our eyes on Jesus, I'm just telling you, with as many people as there are on all the campuses that we have right now, I'm telling you, it could change the communities that we're in. So you got to understand something, people. Jesus is the pioneer of four. Jesus is the pioneer of being four people, which means our eyes have to be fixed on him as we move. It's the only way we move forward as a church. So what this means for us is this, is we keep pioneering as a church. We we keep believing that Jesus is going to fulfill his promise and his word. See, See, we believe what Jesus said when he said to his disciples, you will do even greater things than this. See, pioneer people 
People who think with a pioneering mindset, they, they understand that God is a multiplier. You gotta understand, pioneers, they're not scared. They're not scared of the unfamiliar. They're not scared of our culture because they know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And they don't shrink back from culture. They move into culture with light. In fact, pioneers, they're not scared. They're intrigued. Pioneers are intrigued by the unfamiliar. Pioneers are saying, okay, how can we really be light? How can we really help people understand that we are for them so they understand that God is for them? It's why pioneers live their lives for their neighbors. It's why they're asking this question, you know, what can I do for the people in my community? That leads us back to the questions that pioneers always ask, and that is this. What now and what's next? So let's first of all begin by talking about what about now? So for some of you, what you need to do right now, some we kind of gave reference to a couple weeks ago, and that is this. You need to figure out how to create common ground with people. And for some of you, it's just recognizing, as we've said over the last couple weeks, that you really do have common ground with so many people in the community, that you're not so different. And so you begin to act, interact with people as though you have common ground. I'm just telling you, creating common ground is as simple for some of you as interacting as though you have common ground. And here's what happens. For too many times, I've seen this happen so many times, a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, and what we do is we start bringing our separation to the conversation first instead of what we have in common with the people in our communities. So, so you just begin to interact with everybody as though you, with what you have in common. Now, another great way to do this, and, and we challenge you to do this all the time here, is, is to, to start a group, basically a small group, that is for people that you have something in common with. You, you know someone, and, and there's a group of people that they have something in common. Start a small group and create and show people in our community, oh, yeah, you know, we have things in common. There is common ground. Another thing you can do right now is, is just create conversations. And, and I was telling you, this can be done through just extravagant giving and selfless acts of service in our community. That's why we gave out those four cards. They're, they're on the information um, walls at every one of our campuses. We'd love for you to take more of those. And you just go out and you serve people just with selfless acts of service. And you give extravagantly of your time, talent, and your resources to people. And like I said, we just leave one of those cards and you just begin to create conversations and wear those t-shirts when you're serving people. And, and you know, people are like, well, how do I get one of those? What's this all about? And make sure that you listen and you watch your emails on every one of our campuses for all the serving opportunities that are coming up on each campus in every community and be a part of that because it's gonna create conversations. But for all of us, what now is to create connections? That we put enough margin in our time, that we put enough things out, enough hobbies, whatever it may be, that we have time to invest in another person's life. Whether that be a coworker, whether that be a neighbor, whether that be a friend, so that's what we need to do now. But that's not the only thing. Let, let's talk about what's next, because this is so important. Now, to answer this question, we, we need to ask ourselves this question before we answer what's next by every one of us kind of deciding, am I a pioneer or am I a settler? You really, really need to ask yourself that question. 
somebody's already getting a phone call to, you know, saying, hey, what are you? You know? Other campuses, if you didn't hear that, there was a phone ringing here. So my ADD just couldn't stand not mentioning it. So that's the question. Are we a pioneer? Are we a settler? And here's what we believe as a church. We believe that we are pioneers. And the reason we believe that as Christ followers we are called to be pioneers is because Jesus is our model. He was the greatest pioneer ever. And when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we remember and we focus on what Jesus called us to do. In Mark chapter 16, he says, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And I want you to notice that Jesus didn't tell his followers, hey, I just want you to set up headquarters and and build these buildings and just wait for people to come. He says, no, no, no. I want you to go and I want you to show people that you are for them. See, go, it's a pioneering word. It's what we're called to do. We have communities to reach for Jesus Christ. And if the people who first heard Jesus say these words, they decide, oh, no, we're not gonna go. We're we're just gonna stay. We're not gonna be for others. Think about this. If they said no to this, we probably wouldn't be here today. So whether we go or whether we say no, it's a big deal for our communities. It's a big deal for our world. And the good news is that people who follow Jesus Christ, if they're true followers of Jesus Christ, they're pioneers. See, Jesus followers, they go. Jesus followers, they let this world in which they live know that they are for them because Jesus is for them. So what we say is next for us is to say, as we talked a little bit last week, is to say yes to those who said no to Jesus, to those who said no to the church and to know what we believe, is to go out in our communities and go, even though you said no, We are still for you. And that's so important so that we have the opportunity to share the greatest message that the world has ever heard. So they really will believe that God is for them. Because here's the truth, folks. The truth is, when most people hear like the most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, most people in our world don't believe that they're part of the world that God loves. Do you know why they don't believe they're part of the world that God loves? They don't believe they're one of those human beings that God loves because we as a church, we've helped them to believe that God is not for them. We, we've taught our world that God is angry at them, that God wants to punish them, that, that God just wants to destroy them. Well, there's a key word in this verse that helps people to know that God and we are for them, and it's this word loved right here. See, too many times we don't show the world that God loves them because we don't really love them. See, don't miss what I'm fixing to say next. Too many times it's easy for us to get in the mindset or the mode of loving to help people. Don't miss what I just said there. Too too many times it's easy to get in the mindset of loving to help people. So we love helping people, basically. It's another thing to truly love people. See, helping people kind of love, loving to help people kind of love, it makes us feel good about ourselves and it makes us feel worthwhile about ourselves. And and that's why we as Americans, we, we tend to, especially if you're in a church world, it's why we tend to like to minister to those that have like less than us. 
You know why? Because it makes us feel good about ourselves and worthwhile. But it's so diminishing to other people to have that mindset. But loving people, truly loving people, loving everyone in your family, loving everyone you go to school with, loving everyone you work with, loving everyone in your neighborhood, even when they're unlovely and they're driving you crazy, do you know what truly loving people does? It doesn't make you feel good about yourself and worthwhile. You know what loving people really does? It makes them feel good about themselves and worthwhile. Listen, you can help people without truly loving them because you just love helping people because it makes you feel good about yourself and worthwhile. And too many of us who call ourselves Christ followers are stuck there in that kind of adolescent spiritual maturity. But you cannot love, truly love people without helping them, whether they're lovely or not. See, helping people, and it's a good thing, it's a good thing, it's a great place to start. It just requires us showing up. Loving people, truly loving people the way Jesus called us to love people, that is a supernatural thing, and it necessitates us growing up. See, see this word right here, this word love, it's been confused in our age, it's been confused in every age, but you know what Jesus did when he showed up on earth? I mean, he brought crystal clarity to his meaning. See, see, most of us, we recognize this. You know, God so loved the world he gave his one and only son. We recognize that. It captures the first half of the gospel. But there's a less familiar 1 John 3.16 that captures the essence of the second half of the gospel. And really captures what it means to be for people if you're going to truly love people. Notice what John says in 1 John 3.16. He says, this is how we know what love truly is. Because he says, Jesus made it crystal clear. Jesus laid down his life for us. And then he goes, oh, and by the way, if you're a follower, here's what that means for you. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Listen, listen. This right here, laying down your life for other people, it's the only way you can be for your community. We were called to be for them. So what this means is to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It means laying down part of your time. It means laying down part of your money. It means laying down your desire to be drama-free. Well, I just don't want to be involved in their lives because there's so much drama in that. It means laying down your desire to enjoy or just be comfortable all the time in your life, whatever that means for you. Listen, you can't be pioneering and comfortable at the same time. See, see, this is not comfortable right here. You can't be pioneering comfortable. In fact, some of you, as you're looking and listening to all the different opportunities on your campus to serve or be involved over the next few weeks, you know, you're thinking, oh man, I need some me time on the weekend. You can't be pioneering and comfortable at the same time. One person said it so clearly. The journey of being for our community, it is the spirit-empowered, hard-fought movement of understanding that God is for me in John 3.16 to living out 1 John 3.16. See, our calling, it is to press on beyond adolescent faith 
where I just love helping people because it makes me feel worthwhile and good about myself and to grow up into true maturity kind of love where I love people no matter whether they love back and I make them feel worthwhile and I make them feel good about themselves which is nothing less when we do that than living out the fullness of Jesus Christ in this world. Listen, when we, the people of God, learn to live out 1 John 3, 16, the watching world in our communities will begin to believe John 3, 16. See, when one generation embraces this calling into the second half of the gospel, the next generation will risk the faith to trust in the first half that God is truly for them. This is our vision, folks, to let our communities know that we are for them. Our memories are great, but our dreams of laying down our lives for other people are even greater, not because we just want to impact our communities for good, but because as Christ followers, you, every one of us, me, all of us, we've been charged by God to love by laying down our lives for those around us. Not just love by helping people, but to truly love people. I'm going to tell you, folks, when we do, when we do this, it'll change our world. It'll change our world, and it'll change our world around us. Because no longer am I just helping because I love helping people because it makes me feel good and worthwhile. But I am doing this because I truly am living out the gospel that we've been called to as followers of Jesus Christ. So we're gonna give you a challenge in just a moment on all of our campuses, and um, I'm gonna pray for us first. It's my prayer that you will truly embrace the challenge. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you so much for this opportunity in this moment to absolutely um, embrace the calling that you've given us. God, the calling to lay down our lives for the people around us, to lay down our time, to lay down our money, to lay down our talents, to lay down some of our comfort, maybe even some of our security, maybe some even our hopes and dreams, so that we have the time and the resources to truly love the people around us. God, I thank you for... Um, this moment right now when we get to make the choice of whether we're going to be pioneers or whether we're going to be settlers and help us to choose to follow the greatest pioneer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.